Welcome to the Mastering the Mind podcast. Today we welcome Prince Musombo to the podcast. Prince works for Kasi Genk's Football Academy as a youth talent developer. Before becoming a coach, Prince was a professional football player, playing for various teams in the UK, such as Barnet and St Albans. Prince is also the founder of NextGen Football Camps, which regroups the next generation of professional footballers. These camps consist of multidisciplinary teams of professionals, ranging from nutritionists, physical coaches, to sports psychologists, who support these young players to develop personally and to give them the tools to succeed on and off the pitch. So let's welcome Prince to the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, so when we get guests on, we always like to start, and also for the listeners to sort of get to know you. Um, talk us through your journey to date, sir. Who is Prince Basumba? Okay, um, yeah, so Prince Musombo is just a normal guy, a humble guy born in um, Brussels. Um, my parents are from uh, the Congo, that's in Africa. I am um, raised in Brussels as well. So, um, yeah, uh, living in the capital is, uh, you know, not um, the easiest part of um, being raised up. Um, Prince has um, two brothers and uh, three sisters. So we are a big family, a huge African family of six children. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, that's really it, to be honest, um, if I may. Yeah. I don't know what kind what of information. What about your playing career? So obviously you used to be a player. Um, talk us through yeah. that and, and the journey coming through the academies, what academy you was in, and then okay. um, throughout your journey of your playing career, what was that like? Yeah. Okay. So um, let me start by saying this: um, that I'm I'm born in in a in a not easy um, area, uh, which called um, Ever, that's inside Brussels. Um, you know, a lot of um, uh, gangs, youth gangs, and um, uh, criminal um, criminal stuff, obviously. So, um, because of my um, footballing progress, um, I was a good footballer. Um, in my area, I've been raised up with footballers as well, as Michi Bachuai, Diomasi uh, Ndongala, Didi. Yeah, 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 surely, surely. Um, uh, Floribert Ngalula, who used to play for Manchester United at the time. Um, yeah, there are loads of them. Uh, uh, Anthony van den Boer is also from Brussels. Okay. Uh, Geoffrey Mojangibia. So, loads of them. Loads of them come from Brussels. Pelin Boyo, to be honest. So, these are all guys who I'm uh, raised up with. Oh, Dred Dedrick Boyata forgot to mention yep. my own cousin. Um, so I had the chance to to play um, on the streets with uh, good footballers, which gave me the um, opportunity of um, yeah starting in a good youth, um, I mean, I'll say youth academy, which is called Cave uh, Mechela. Um, it's uh, near Antwerp and I've I've, I've left uh, my house when I was 12. Uh, my parents put me uh, um, in a boarding school in Mechelen, um, spent six, six years there until the reserve team. Uh, then suddenly um, I got 
uh, a nice message of the technical director saying that they do not count on me anymore. So I had to 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 find to find another another team. Then uh, I went to um, Lierse, uh, which is in Belgium as well. At the time, Lierse was playing in the second division. Um, then I played there for one year because, it, yeah, it was not the right team for me. Um, got lower, got to uh, White Star Brussels. Then for me, that was the start of, let's say, my um, my race, I would say. Uh, why? Coming back to Brussels, back to the house, with the family, with the friends around me. Um, it was, uh, I think, the best way to to start a, a young career uh, inside football. Um, White Star was at that time in in uh, in the third tire of Belgium, mm. so that was the third division. Uh, had the chance to to meet Felice Mazzu there, um, yeah. who, who was head coach at the moment. Uh, played uh, and won the third division uh, league, uh, so gone up to the second division league, played and won the second division league as well in a row. So that was for me two great years. I was only 19 years of age. And uh, from there, I had the opportunity to um, to go abroad. At that time, I could go to Scotland as well. <clears throat> but um, let's say my cousin, Dedrick Boyata, was playing at the moment for Manchester City. And um, yeah, his father had some good contacts with um, uh, English clubs. Yeah. Um, at the time, I could have gone to Leeds United, uh, to uh, Luton Town, okay, which is at the moment in the Championship League. But mm-hmm. I went to Barnet Barnet Football Club, which was at that time in uh, League Two, yeah. um, managed by Edgar Davids. Yeah, uh, that was going to be a question of mine. What, what was it like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, what was it like? Well, you know. Um, that was also my, um, that was the, um, how can I say, when I saw him, that was the thing that made me choose for Barnet. Okay. Be- because I could go to some higher, to, to some higher teams, but the fact of seeing Edgar Davids in front of me with the glasses, with the dreadlocks <laughs> and speaking to me, obviously, um, and uh, yeah, speaking to me. Um, obviously, the guy was well. The gaffer at the moment, Edgar Davids was playing at my position, so I saw the chance. Like, okay, he would maybe able, you know, he will be able to to guide you and to lead you um, on that position as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, then my journey, my English journey, began. Um, Barnet Football Club. Uh, the first two years were not easy. Um, because I had to adapt myself, uh, the weather. I yeah. Remember, yeah, I remember the English weathers. Um, the English weather was awful, yep. awful. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what were the pitches like? Obviously, playing yeah. in League Two, and um, even back then, like it must have been different to the top flight. Mm. Yeah. To to be fair, Barnet was alright. You know, I don't know yeah. if you've ever been there, the Hive. Um, I haven't been there. I've, I've watched games like uh, so. I was on a work placement where they were in the same league as Barnet. Um, mm-hmm. so I've watched them away from home, but but never okay. at their stadium. 
Yeah. Um, well, the Hive was a, was a good like was a good stadium. Um, um, Ten thousand fans, full. Um, that was also for me. It was a step to adapt because I came from a second league in Belgium where maybe two two to three thousand fans were were mm. um, in the stadium, and then coming in England, new country, uh, new rules, new players, uh, a new gaffer. Um, 10,000 fans obviously coming in from Belgium at that time in England. Romelu Lukaku was playing for Chelsea, uh, just came in. Uh, Benteke was uh, just came in uh, from uh, from Belgium. So Belgium was really hot in yeah, England yeah, at that yeah. moment. So everyone was expecting, okay, we got also a Belgian. What yeah. will he do? Um, can we expect something of him? So yeah, the pressure was high, and I was yeah, really you, yeah. You felt the pressure, like because you're Belgian, def- really. Definitely, hundred percent. Definitely, I was like I was only twenty years of age, mm. you know. So um, yeah, it was yeah, it was for me at that time. I felt like okay, this is you know this is something new. Um, mm. I felt a kind of pressure. Mm. The the gaffer was telling me not not to have pressure, but I still had it because every day on the newspaper you saw Romelu new signing in of uh, from Anderlecht to Chelsea, and uh, yeah, all of yeah all of all of the things in the media was really affecting my my um, yeah my playing abilities. I would say. Um, how did you try and cope with that? <sighs> how was it difficult? Um, it was it was very difficult. Okay. Um, and also coping with the, yeah, coping with, I'll take girls. <laughs> yeah, that's girl. Yeah. That was terrible. Um, <laughs> Twenty years of age, coming in London. London is a big city. Um, yeah, Barnet's in London. Yeah. It's it was crazy, and my two managers were were Dutch as well, so my communication with them was very easy. Um, because I was communicating with them with with them in uh, in Dutch, so my first two years were, I would say, okay, not perfect, but they were okay. Then um, my third year, uh, Edgar Davies got sacked. Mm. Um, new gaffer came in. Um, uh, I've been loaned at Saint Albans City, which was uh, uh, a league below Conference National. Um, it was okay. St. Albans City, small city, just outside of London. It's a nice area. Uh, my girlfriend's nice. uh, from there. So, um, yeah, 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 I've been around there quite a bit. Just going back yeah. to um, Edgar Davids, I just wanted to know, like, what were the main things you learned from him? Obviously, being such a good player, um, whether that's being a coach or a player, what were the things you mainly took away from working with him? Being hungry every time. Yeah. For him, you know, the... There was nothing else than being hungry. Um, he kept he kept repeating, "Listen, you're from Belgium. You're young. Um, you left your your hometown. You left your family. Um, sorry, um, you left your family. Um, you here in London. You had you have the opportunity to to build up your career. So um, every time you step on the pitch, you 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 tie your laces. You're ready to." Um, step up um, the yeah the field um, mm. just yeah just be hungry yeah. you know 
Okay. Work hard, uh, work harder than the rest, and you will see everything will will um, will be okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it made me laugh how we got the uh, number one shirt. Uh, not not many outfield players rock the number one shirt, but he rocked it. <laughs> yeah, he's always that kind of guy. Uh, so going back to St Albans, yeah. uh, talk us through that that period. Yeah, Selma City, uh, short short stay, short stay. Um, Nice area, posh area, very posh. Um, Obviously, I was still young there. I was maybe, I think I was 22. Uh, Yeah, I was 22 at that time. Um, Yeah, once again, I think um, coping with um, the the lower leagues in um, in the UK is very different. Once again, you'd say uh, not a lot of fans. No way. I think every home game we had... 5k 6k fans it was yeah, the english fans are like especially crazy. lower league i think the lower down the leagues you go the more passionate the fans are crazy because they have just a love for football they're not watching yes. the best players but like yeah they're there for and the club they're yeah. representing their city as well like oh, it was it was just crazy when we when we were losing games <laughs> fans getting angry at us throwing us beer and everything. Yeah. <laughs> all fans, you know, like yeah, I mean, no, no. all fans, all fans, like I remember myself because at the time, um, in the beginning, I was not driving. Okay. Uh, I was not driving. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why. I think, yeah, I was a bit scared to drive with the steering at the other side, the right side. So yeah. I was a bit scared. Um, Don't blame you're me, too mate. busy with the girls. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean he could have picked up some in the car, but yeah. yeah. Uh, we didn't we didn't have Uber at that time, but oh, yeah, you know true. the black cabs, the black cabs went girls, so you come in the black cabs, then you then you already okay. The guy has money, no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so I used to take uh, the the um the train, the train. Uh, living in uh, living in uh, Harpenden, it's a bit further up near Luton. Uh, and I remember after games when I used to um, jump on the train, go to Harpenden, I was very scared of uh, seeing fans, you know, mm. just like being, okay, we lost today. If some of the fans sees me here, that's it, I'm, I'm done. You know, hold, hold they're going to me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, um, I, I, Selma City was just a year, but it was a great year. It was a great year. Um, uh, I remember the cup games, crazy, playing on uh, Saturday um, uh, afternoon, then playing again on Tuesday, then playing mm-hmm. again on Saturday. I remember these times were very tough for me, tough. And um, I will never forget the derby games again. Hemel Hampstead. Yeah. <laughs> that, were the, that, were, that were the best. I've never been in such um, derbies mm. like Hemel Hampstead against Sir City. That were, that were for me, my, my best footballing times were uh, Sir Auburn City and Arsley uh, Town. Are you that kind of player who sort of thrives under them derby games, that pressure um, of high physical games? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you could, yeah, you could, you could feel, you could feel from from the start of of the week going to um, the derby game. That's it. And the derby games were always 
uh, in December during the Boxing Days and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my, this was crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy. Mm. So, so the pressure was there from from the gaffer. The pressure was there from um, the chairman, but also the fans were coming at the training and cheering up. And you know, oh wow, it's, it's, mm. it's just it's just an it's just another um, it's another world. You cannot compare England to uh, Belgium, not at all, yeah. not even not a second, no way. And in terms of the football, like it seems like you're a pretty physical guy. Like I feel like yeah. that style of football, like the English style of football, like slide tackles, etc., that kind of suited you. Like, did you find it fun or like easy to adapt to that kind of playing style? Or um, the thing uh, with that is because, let's say, I'm a schooled footballer coming from Belgium. Mm. So because of my, um, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm the kind of player who is very um, tough in uh, in um, contact. I would yeah. say I was a defender, midfielder. Uh, I mean, midfielder, defender. So uh, my number six role was very um, easy in England, taking the ball off the opponent and just giving it to the creative midfielders and that was it um so i had a bit of ball abilities coming from belgium but the physicality i had to adapt myself because the physicality in england was very up there like mm. I, i'm not i'm not used to well i was not used to that kind of physicality during games yeah you know mm-hmm Obviously, during your career, a big moment for you was um, obviously your condition um, that happened during the game. What Talk us through that experience. What happened? So if you had to explain to the listeners. Mm-hmm. So uh, after my, my year at Setembo City, uh, dropped again. That was in, um, um, what's it called again? The Conference uh, National South. So that's just, yeah. that's just on the Conference National uh, and then played for Arsley Town. Uh, I think I played maybe to 40 to 50 games. So a lot of games, uh, like I said before, playing on Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, mm. Saturday. That was just, you know, normal. like sometimes we had seven, eight games in a month. Um, mm-hmm. This is, uh, this is the, yeah, this is the reality of uh, lower league football, uh, which was okay for me. Yeah. which was okay for me in the beginning. Uh, but then suddenly um, we were playing uh, the FA Vs. Yeah, FA Vs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Vs. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a trophy. That's an English trophy cup, um, cup, cup, um, cup tournament. Uh, I think the first, first leg we beat QPR. Oh, wow. I remember. Yes, we beat them. I think it was 1-0. We beat them. Okay. Then um, second game, we were um, playing huh, um, Stevenage. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we played Stevenage. And uh, during that game, uh, yeah, I collapsed. During that game, I collapsed. Uh, I don't really remember what happened, but my um, my teammates uh, were, were shocked and... Yeah, I had, I had the version of what happened after everything clearly happened. Yeah. Mm. Leading up to it, did you feel any any symptoms or like to, games prior? Did you feel you was burning out or was there any signs? No, 
It's not that I remember. And the thing, what well, you know, the the thing that is very um, difficult for me is uh, I've never had the chance to have a video of like a video footage of of what happened mm. because because it was obviously it was low league. Not every game in these leagues are filmed. Yeah. Okay, you were playing against Stephen Age, but it was in Arsley Town. Arsley Town, small field, not mm. a lot of, uh, I would say, media attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I didn't have the chance to, yeah, to see it. But of what I've, I've, I've heard of what I've heard um, of my teammates. Yeah, it is just that I was walking, and suddenly I just fainted. Yeah, it's crazy. Like we've seen so, like recently, we've seen so many stories like that with the Ericsson, uh, Nuri from Ajax. Like it's it's such a shame that you know that yeah. these these this is happening. You know, and you'd think that that like each player is at the physical peak of their performance, but you never know. There might be something hidden. You know, it's it's, it's crazy. It's, and uh, and how did you kind of cope with not being able to play after that? Um. Well, I did play, you know. Um, so yeah, you, obviously, I saw you played a couple games, yeah. Yeah, um, obviously the um, the doctors and uh, um, uh, well, the surgeon um, mm. in the UK, uh, they told me not to play anymore. But uh, you know, you you can't really blame me. I was what I was maybe twenty three. Um, it happened that um, young. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah, I was 23. Um, um, coming from Belgium, I had nothing to lose. I was, come on, this England, that was my dream. That's a football mm-hmm. country. Um, yeah. And they're telling me, oh, yes, you have to stop. No way. Nothing uh, Nothing could have stopped me. And somehow in my head, I was still focusing on Barnet because yeah. I was on lo- I was loaned. Okay. I was loaned out, you know. I was still young. Um, hungry, like Edgar Davids always told me, and um, I was still young and willing to come back to Barnet and to prove myself that I'm able, you know, to play at that level. Um, but then everything went down from there. Everything went down. I came back to Belgium, played one more year, collapsed again, and then I stopped. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. What was it like for you watching, obviously, during the Euros, that Ericsson, uh, when it was happening to him, what, what was going through your head during that moment? Because I, I, I'm sure the whole world was just stood, stood still. I couldn't believe what yeah. I was watching. Yeah. Well, that was, for me, the first time I saw someone um, collapsing on the field live because I was watching that game as well. Yes, yeah, You know? So, um, for me, that was the first time. And... You know, I thought, okay, maybe he's he's tired and he wants to go off. But at a certain moment, obviously, all the players were coming uh, to him and it was a bit crowded around him. Mm, And then something, you know, in my head said, okay, he, like, the guy fainted, Mm, you know, and he's not getting up. Mm -hmm. So, so I was... It was not a good feeling to be fair. No. It was not a good feeling. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, rem- just- I, remember, I remember exactly where I was. I was in like a, a hotel room and I saw that happen and I was like, why are all the players? Well, actually, the first thing I saw was uh, fans like crying and like looking away kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell happened? Like, did like a bomb go off in the stadium or something? And then I saw Ericsson on the ground and like all the players covering and I knew, and I knew instantly like it's not good. One thing I, I, I couldn't like commend more is is Casper Schmeichel. Like the amount of chaos that's yeah. gone on in his career, and for him to handle it the way he does. Like I'm from Leicester, um, and, and with the helicopter crash, like he apparently ran to the helicopter trying to get people out. The way he conducted himself with Ericsson, just unbelievable. Um, and for him to be like obviously the captain at Leicester and things like that, like he's just such a top player. Mm-hmm. Um, just going back to obviously non-league, um, I worked in non-league for a little bit and mm-hmm. I understand how hard the demand is on the players. And yeah. I find it crazy, the schedule that they have, whereas the top flight moan about their fixture list, but they've got the best technology, the best recovery um, apparatus and things like that. Yeah. Whereas lower league have barely got any funding and they're having to deal with playing way more. They're having to work jobs as well, especially at Conference True. South. They're yeah. going to work jobs as well as play twice yeah. a week, train. Yeah. How do you not expect injuries? I think there needs to be a change or, or more funding going into the lower leagues because it's mental. It is. It is. Um, well, you know, like, I, I can't really speak for the players who were playing at that time, let's say for Arsley, because my contract was still running at Barnet. Yeah. So, so my wages were, let's say, okay, but I was still training uh, daily. Uh, you know, like you know, like it was a semi-professional football club. So, it's not professional, but it's semi-professional. So they expect you to do something as a pro, but then maybe half of it. That's why it's called semi-pro. Yeah. You know. Um, and yeah, I remember myself people coming in from work. And then, you know, they had to train hard because it's very hard demanding. Like, it's demanding. I remember also we played um, in, um, what's it called? Uh, near Bournemouth. Um, yeah. I forgot the name of the team. So then we had to leave. So we had game on Saturday. We were leaving Tuesday, um, Thursday, Thursday evening, coming there Friday, um, uh, sleeping over and... Like I said, we were semi-professional, you know, taking the train together, playing at the other side of, um, of uh, yeah, of um, of um, of the UK, obviously Conference South. So yeah. you had to go, you had to go from um, where we were, Arsley, until yeah, Bournemouth because it's the South, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, so it was crazy. It was crazy. No, I commend any player who who plays at that level because it is a grind. Like yeah. you're really committed to, to your career, and yeah. I've seen a lot of people promote that um, playing at lower leagues because yeah. you yeah. can earn more money playing National League South part time, having True. a football wage and a, a working wage than yes. you're playing in League Two. Yes, because you've got a command salary. Yeah, Correct. So. Um, I have I have a, loads of friends. Who, uh, who came through uh, the non-league um, uh, f- uh, football in uh, in the UK? The exponent in this in this story is Yannick Bolassi. Um, Bolassi is Yannick Bolassi is um, is uh, is one player who 
who started very low. I forgot the name of the team, but it was non-league. And yeah, yeah. And I think today he's he's known in the whole of UK. Same as Jamie Vardy. Yeah, Jamie Vardy. Yeah. I played. I played. I played against Vardy when he used oh, wow. to play. Yeah, I played him when he used to play for. Uh, what was the name of the team again? Uh, the Stockbridge Steelers. Uh, Stockbridge, yeah, yeah Stockbridge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I played him there twice. Twice. Okay. Was he any good back then? Or yeah, what was it like? He was. Uh, he was a fighter. Yeah. yeah. He was fighting. He was running after all the balls. Yeah. Crazy. And he still uh, sees yeah. that that in his game now. Uh, yeah. At the yeah. Age he is. Yeah. He still has the same game as uh, back before, but then. Mm. When now he 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 enters the box, you you know that you know he's very clinical now. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, that's what I find crazy about football that it's just a it is a game of opinions. You can be playing it at is. that level, you can be playing that level or top level, and you can be the same sort of talented player. Um, it's just whether a manager fancies you or not. True, mm. true. Um, yeah, he's oh. really lucky to have made it to. Also, that's also a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of players in that level as well that could potentially be playing in the Premier League. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, he got really lucky, but yeah, definitely fantastic player. Fantastic. Yeah, Jamie, he's a he's a great player. Yeah. What was it like um, announcing your retirement? So talk us through that experience. Mm. It was hard, you know. Yeah. It Did you know hard, what you was going to do after? Not really. I didn't know, but I had, you know, I still had the passion. For the youth, always, even uh, even 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 when I was a player, I remember myself staying in Barnet, uh, watching the under eleven play, the under ten play. I don't know. I I like. I always had it. I I always had it in me. Always. Yeah. So uh, yeah, something in me said, okay, maybe I can, you know, be a coach. So, so my last club in Belgium called Wolverhampton that was playing in the third tier, uh, tier in um, in Belgium. Uh, there, uh, obviously, I spoke to the chairman, told him, "Listen, I think it's better for me to, you know, resign my contract, but I still want to be something uh, crucial inside this club because I feel that I still can bring something. I don't know what." I want to bring up something. And he suddenly, he said to me, oh, all right, uh, what do you think of being a coach? I said, uh, okay, why not? I love, you know, working around youth. I want to bring them to the next level, um, you know, uh, being um, a sort of a guide during uh, their career. Um, because obviously I've been there uh, and I've lived it myself. So why not? being a guide for these young players who are trying to becoming professional. Yeah. And from there, um, yeah, I started being a coach in that team. My, but my first year, it was just, it was just great. Every tournament we've won, the players I had are all today in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the highest divisions in Belgium. Uh, one of one of them plays for Club Brugge first team. Uh, he's he's 16 now. He's turning 17 in January. No one Bamba. That's um, Belgium's youngest um, talent who's coming through the ranks. You can uh, you could compare him to um, what's he called Manchester City young lad uh, Romeo Lavia. 
Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, you you could compare him yeah. with him. But Noah is one year younger than Romeo. Mm. So uh yeah, very good lad. Mm-hmm. Nice. Throughout your coaching career, has any sort of coaches inspired you or do, or do you try to emulate or do you have your sort of own philosopher um, in terms of how you want to coach? Um, yeah. Listen, me, you know, I'm like, I say it myself, but I'm a, a typical coach, you know. Um, I prefer being good friends with players, with younger players, because um, I don't. I don't name myself coach. Uh, I name myself um, youth developer. Yeah. Uh, I think. Um, I think it's slightly different because a coach. A coach is. You could say coach to um, a first team coach, but also a um, but also a youth coach. Mm. Um, and I'm not. I'm a coach, but it's not the right. The right words for what I do. Uh, I'm more into um, um, guiding, like a, like a mentor, mentoring maybe. Um, yeah, men- yeah, mentor, mentor. Yeah. I would say mentor on and off the field. You know, uh, because um, in my role, so I give them training at the club on the field, but also outside the field. Let's say when players don't feel well and they need to to speak to someone or to talk to someone, yeah, which is normal. They will not go and address themselves to the director of the club. They'll come to someone they see on a daily basis, they have a good vibe with, they can laugh with. And in that time, that's me. And then I can, you know, have a a one-on-one conversation with the player to try uh, to understand what uh, the problem is and then we find a solution together, which is mm. very important. We find a solution together because I'm not there to tell the player what to do. No, I'm more like we need to find a solution so that you could become better. This is how I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really specific kind of role you have there. And I don't think, like not from what I'm aware, in Belgium, there isn't a lot of roles like that. So you're either a coach, assistant coach, you know, so did you kind of sort would you say you kind of created that role at your time at Genk? Did you yes. kind of did you bring that to them and say I want to be yeah. this kind of person? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. This is uh this was also my my stake. Uh so uh, after this year, so last summer I had a lot of opportunities um to go abroad, but also to stay in Belgium. Uh, but I had a lot of opportunities for um, for the UK because obviously uh, one of my ex-colleagues I used to play with in the UK, some of them are coaches, some of them are scouts for bigger clubs. So I had a lot of opportunities, but I said to myself, no, I am not done with what I want to do. I'm not finished. I'd rather finish first in Genk what I'm trying to accomplish. And then when I feel like, okay, mission accomplished, I can move to the next um, to to my next objective, which is for me going abroad um, mm-hmm. and speaking uh, to the board, to the youth uh, director, etc. I told them what I wanted to do. Not only a simple coach on the field. This is not yet. Yeah, I want to do it. I want to coach, but it is more than just coaching. Yeah. You know. 
we've found on our course uh, during our masters we've done a whole module on the coach athlete relationship and it's mm-hmm. clear that you value a good quality coach athlete relationship and yes. having that is said to increase performance both with the coach and with the player on and off the field and the fact that you focus things off the field because off the field things can affect on like in pitch performance so the fact that you focus on them is super important and um, it is yeah it is it is very important very important we tend to um to forget that but um if a player is not okay at home he will not be okay on the pitch you could you could he, he, because he comes from his house you cannot expect him if he has problems in his house to come at the club and to and and to perform not possible no I um, I always bring up this example of Jesse Lingard during that time where he was going through a shaky period at Man U. You found yeah. out that he come out about um, his mum being ill and he was having problems at home, and then all that sort of uh, stopped. And then he went to West Ham and he had good vibes again, and he, he ended up doing un- unbelievable. And now he's back yeah. at Man U scoring goals. So, indeed, clear example of what you've just said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems to me that you're kind of acting as like a brother figure to them and yes. like a, a kind of like a psychologist also so you so you let them know that you're always there if they wanted to come and talk to someone so yeah could you kind of like if, if this is your option could you kind of shed light on the type of work you kind of do with these players so how can you help them is it tell us more about what, what type of stuff you do with them it is like it depends, you know, it depends. It can be on the field, let's say, uh, because, uh, you know, my my role is individual coach. So I coach players individually. Okay. But it is more than that because, um, let's say, a player comes to me and he says, oh, last game, uh, I had a feeling uh, in a 1v1 situation, mm-hmm. I, was, I was very weak. Okay. So then my job is then, um, to visualize the game with him and you know obviously I visualize every game but then I cut the parts that could um, give him uh, a bit of feedback of what he he thinks uh, that is wrong then we go on the field I work with him on the field a whole week two weeks three weeks depending on what uh, the team coach wants me to do with him but then uh, so it can be on the field but then off the field, let's say um, at this moment, I cope with a lot of players who are struggling with ages. Okay. You know? They are uh, they are complaining. They're coming to me to say, oh, look at this guy. He has ages already. And me, I have no one. And how come I'm, I'm a good player? I'm a gank, but no one is seeing me. Does that mean uh, I'm not good enough? Does that mean I will not make it? So players at that age, 15, 16, they tend to believe that if they do not have an agent, they won't make it. Mm. It's crazy. And um, it, is, it is very harsh for me to persuade them that it is not true. Because nowadays, it's not like 10, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was 18. You know, having an agent was quite normal when you were 18, 19, 20, you know. But yeah. nowadays... When you're 15 and you do not have an agent, that's it. You're not good enough. Mm, that's crazy. 
people people tend to think, ah, oh, that's it. I don't have an agent. That's it. My career is over. Come on. You're 14, 15 years of age. You play in the best club in Belgium. For me, mm-hmm. Genk is the best youth academy in Belgium. Yeah. It is the best. The best. Uh, they have the best facilities, but also they have the best structure for youth players to develop themselves at ease. Very important, at ease. Because mm-hmm. then, I would say, at the other side, you have some other clubs, I will not mention no names, but some other clubs, you know, that try to push young players through to the first team. But in Genk, we really take time. We don't want to force players. You know, yeah. when the player is ready, we'll push him straight away. So, so yeah, uh, coming back on your question, it, it depends. It can be on, off the field. It yeah. can be um, with um, agents or I don't know. I don't have a, um, an agent. He has, I don't mm-hmm. have a sponsoring. He has a sponsoring. Does that mean I'm not good enough? Does that mean um, the, the, uh, I will not make it through? How come he's 15? He has um, Puma contract, Adidas contract, Nike contract, and me, I don't have nothing. Question mark. Yeah. You know, yeah. these are these are things that are very important. Um, questions about girls. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them, because they are 15, 16, you know, they are um, entering the adolescence period um saying oh but how come girls are not looking at me and they look they're looking at him does that mean i'm ugly yeah do you think yeah sorry do you think social media is the issue is is like the reason because of this like the introduction of social media because you were saying like 10 years ago maybe this wouldn't be happening but like i feel like social media has added a sort of stressor an additional stressor on these 14 15 year olds it's crazy for sure, 100%. Everyone, everyone, everyone wants to have the more likes. Everyone wants to be visible on Instagram, Facebook. Everyone wants to be shared. Uh, they, want, they want to be shared by uh, the best talents mm-hmm. uh, because if you're not shared by them, that means you're not involved in the yeah. good, good players gang, I would say. Yeah. You know, so to be, let, let, me, let me share something with you. Um, um, a kind of weeks ago, it was the first um, selection of the under-16 squad for Belgium. Okay. Uh, suddenly, one player of one of the best youth academies in Belgium, I won't say no name, um, he created a group on Instagram. Right. Now, you should listen because it's very interesting. He created a group on Instagram and he added... He added players from many teams, but he did it by himself. And he named the group on the 16 Belgium squad. And he involved himself in the group. And he added some gank players, some Bruch players, some underleg players, some standard in the edge players. So players he think or he thought that would make the under 16 the under-16 Belgium squad. Now, obviously, he made it himself. Mm. So some players were not happy. They were saying, oh, you see, coach, look at this player. He created the group, and I'm not inside the group. What does that say? Does it? So he doesn't find me good enough, and they were thinking that way. Suddenly, the week after, the selection came out. Guess what? 
half of them weren't even in there or something. The player who made the oh, yeah. 16 group was not even yeah. in there. So at this moment, you deleted the group. Yeah. You see yeah. what I mean? But, you know, like players, like I said, they think, okay, I'm playing in the best, if in one of the best youth academies in Belgium. So I'll be involved in the under 16 squad. But they don't know nothing about the squad. Yeah. John, you, you talk about that Instagram page, what you, uh, we had yeah. a debate about. So this is something I've we've had a debate, Oli and me. So you know Rising Borders, the Instagram yeah. page? Yes. Super popular page, and they always yeah. post like youth talents all around Europe in the world. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone working in DFA, so England squad, and she was yeah. saying that it was difficult to kind of um install this mentality where Instagram social media wasn't they shouldn't value social media as much because this is like interrupting their work they're doing with the players because they kind True. of want to introduce a, a, a sort of culture within the England squad True. but they're finding that these pages although they're good for visibility sometimes mm-hmm. it complicates stuff you know their work what they're trying to achieve as a mm-hmm. you know as the organization so it's, it's the point we were say, saying again like social media is it's good and it's bad, but yeah. Players get obsessed with exactly. trying to appear on these pages. True. Um, I worked at a club and the first thing they do after the games is, oh, can you send me my clips? And it's like, not for them to study the game and how they can improve. It's like, let me try and upload these to social media. And true, it's just for the wrong purposes. Um, so I it's know. about trying to instill them and, and keep mm. them on the right path. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Correct, correct. I sort of it's, have a real yeah. big passion. Prince, life. what would you do? What would yeah. what would you do to solve this issue? What what do you think is the solution? You you can't you can't really ban it because if you ban it, they'll do it uh, without you knowing it, for sure. So you have to allow it, hundred mm-hmm. percent, because they are they are definitely addicted to social media. But it is you just need to. I think it's just a, a bit of talking, you know. You need to you need to to start the conversation with them. And you cannot give examples of Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. Why? Because when Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi were were 13, 14, Instagram and Facebook were not that popular as now. So you can't really, yeah. Like it is it is part of the modern society. Exactly. And this is also the problem of loads of coaches that, you know, I have a lot of debates with coaches who uh, are still uh, inside my academy, academy where I'm working in, so at Genk, and who used to develop players as Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Divock Origi, uh, Thibaut Courtois, uh, Yannick Carrasco, coaches who worked with them. Um, these coaches are like, they keep saying, oh, but at that time with the Brian, it was not the same. Yeah, I understand. But that time as the Brian is gone. The Brian didn't have no Instagram. The Brian didn't have at that time when it was 13, 14, no uh, uh, 10K followers, no Nike sponsoring contracts, uh, no videos that he could upload on Instagram on his Instagram to show the whole world. He didn't have it. He didn't have to cope with it. He didn't have um, the chance to 
uh, talk on Instagram with some ladies from Spain, Portugal, mm -hmm. Greece. Now these boys, they're 15, 16, obviously they're putting on their social media player of Real Madrid or player of Manchester City Youth Academy and girls of 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 their age, they see it. Yeah. And and they also see the followers they have. And they see also when players sign a contract and they're professional, they see the blue tick. Mm. So young girls, when they're 15, 16, and they try to find someone who is who has a good appearance, yeah, and has a bit of visibility, yeah, they try to talk. It is crazy. I will give you one example again. One player that was last year. He was he was 15. One girl from Spain who was 21 was speaking to him. But when I mean speaking, like I saw the combos, yeah, speaking mm -hmm. with a yeah. with a capital S speaking, <laughs> like you know, I don't want to give more information, yeah. but the guy was the guy was 15, mm. and yes, he was a big he is a big talent in Belgium, one of the biggest talents of his age. But he was talking with girls who were 21. That girl was 21. The mm. girl was astonishing, great. Yeah. Nothing to see, everything was made up. Like you see them on the books or on video yeah. clips on uh, MTV Base. This is crazy. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah. just, it's just to show, it's just to give you an example that the time, like time changes and it is, we have to adapt to this time because the time will not go away. Mm -hmm. Instagram will stay, Facebook will stay, Snapchat will stay, uh, TikTok will stay. We, as a coach, have to adapt ourselves to these things yeah. for the players. Yeah, because there's, there's also a lot of, it's not all just negative with social media, there's a lot of benefits that can come from it like your sponsorships and things like that like someone yeah. who's the, the probably the best it is AJ whether he wins or loses Anthony Joshua he's still going to get brand deals because he, he's an idol to everyone um, true yeah but yeah so we've talked about a lot of things there in terms of things that footballers have to deal with mm -hmm. um, something that I, I've started to ask like a lot of guests is um, what are the most important psychological attributes or qualities you feel make a successful footballer or if you were a coach in the first team, what would you look for in an academy player that they need to make it to the professional game? Uh, I'll say I'll say the first thing for me is um, is the mental aspect. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, definitely. Um, because, listen, everyone wants to become a professional footballer nowadays. Everyone. When you ask uh, a young a young player who is 12, 13, what's your dream? He will tell you, oh, professional footballer, professional mm -hmm. footballer. But they don't know what it takes to become a professional footballer. They see Pogba, who is dabbing, they see uh, Cristiano Ronaldo with a new uh, mm. Bugatti. They yeah. see Messi uh, in his nice villa with the nice kids and a nice wife, and uh, with a new nice pair dog. of yeah, with the new pair of Louboutins. This is what they see, but they don't know. Yeah, 
they don't know that um, Conference South football is professional. Mm-hmm. They don't know. Yeah. So they can become professional, but playing uh, for, with all due respect, uh, um, um, uh, League 2 team. You know? Yeah. So for me, mental, being mental strong is essential in this game. Mm-hmm. Because football, you need to cope with loads of things. You know? And then, um, then you can come to, okay, ball handling and everything about football specific. Yeah. But, but the mental, the mental is huge. Yeah. Do you think the mental qualities that they need, do you think they change based on their position? So do you think a defender needs more mental toughness than a striker or a goalkeeper? Or do you think it's pretty much the same? I think position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the same. I think it's the same. Listen, you can be a very good footballer, have uh, good footballing qualities. So mm-hmm. I mean, what I'm what I'm speaking of is on the field. Yeah. So yeah. good skills, good passing, a good shot, everything. But if you do not have, if you if you are not mental strong, you break down hundred percent. Yeah, talking about the social media, the fans. Yeah, yeah. About. You, you will break that. Look at Jack Wilshire. Yeah. For me, Jack Wilshire, he's my age. He's of my generation, the best. Yeah. Generation 92 with Neymar and everything. Come on, Jack Wilshire Good is play. one of the best. He's yeah. one of the best. How can he, in God's sake, playing for West Ham United? I'm sorry. Now, I think... Yeah, I think I I don't even think he's, has he got a club? Because he come oh, out yeah. recently talking uh, on a podcast like he's, it's crazy. I don't know how I've not got a club. Like I expected that I'd be playing Champions League football at this age. When he was younger, he was expecting mm. at 28, he'd be uh, playing Champions top, League at, at the top level. And Definitely. now for him to be where he is, he's really struggling. And um, this is, like, like I said, this is, this is not normal. Jack Walsher was... I remember when he when he came through at Arsenal, they were speaking of him in Barcelona and not Barcelona of now. The Barcelona, the best, the best team of the the past uh, yeah. five six years with Messi, Thierry Henry, Samuel Eto'o, Ibrahimovic, David Villa. It's like prime Busquets, Xavi, yeah. yes. Iniesta, Busquets, Busquets. That's crazy. They, they were talking of him in Barcelona. So how can this player? With all the respect for Jack Wilshere's career, how can he end up without club? Yeah. Impossible. Yeah, he got a lot of injuries, didn't he? Also, and like that took a huge mental toll on him because I, I guess he was persuaded himself that he was going to get to that level once because of those injuries, it just went down, down, down. There. So, your point about mental toughness there is, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same as Ravel Morrison, like. Yeah. How you talk about Jack Wilshere, ex-Man United players talk of Ravel Morrison as this unbelievable player that's never really had his because career take yeah. off True. like it should have. Uh, True. I'm not sure as to what's actually caused that, um, whether it's like attitude or I'm not yeah. sure. Now, now you have a Charlie Musonda who's coming back. Oh my he's god, I'm so back. excited to watch him. I yeah, hope he's coming back. I hope he does well. Like I, we have discussions also with the <laughs> with Ollie about yeah. Charlie. Yeah. But I remember watching him on YouTube when I was like 14, 15. I was like, oh my god, this guy's on the road. 
He was the captain of Belgium youth. Um, yeah, a crazy guy it's on crazy. the left, and then Chelsea. Like, such Listen, a shame. He such he he is the example of mental toughness. Yeah, he's so strong. You cannot you cannot persuade him to stop. Mm-hmm. Failure after failure, he's still there. Now, I think he played his first game. Yep. Yesterday Chelsea. or before the yesterday, yeah. It was with Chelsea under 23s, I think. Yeah, yeah. He had a decent game, I think. So yeah. he looked if he, sharp. He looked sharp. Yeah. If he comes back to his level, oh obviously. I don't know, but if he comes back to yeah, if he yeah, yeah if he can make it through, yeah, that's that's just an example. I mean, he uh, for me, he hasn't even showed his full potential yet. Like no. first team in the first team, first team football, he hasn't shown his potential. Not yet, not yet, not yet, not at all. I mean, being at Chelsea on the two shell, you can't really be at a better place at the moment. Yeah, absolute top manager. True. Mm. I swear, Chelsea though, they have so many youngsters. I don't know how, like on their books, they always <coughs> end up learning them out to like Vitesse. I swear, they all all go Vitesse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Vitesse, Obviously, big. it is. Working at Genk, uh, I'm interested to see. Um, obviously, they're famous for um, their, their youth and, and the careers they go on to have. Obviously, like Ndidi, De Bruyne, Couture. Are there mm-hmm. any success stories that you've worked with that have gone out to have good careers? Or is there anyone in the youth ranks at the moment that you think is going to go on and reach them heights? You know, like, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to... to say names because... Yeah. I don't want to put any pressure on them. Yeah. <laughs> you okay. never know if they, you know, if they listen at the podcast and they say, "Oh, Coach Prince said," you know, get them, get, get them on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. You know, you know, you know them ones. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say that, but I could, I could definitely tell you that the next generation of youth players that Genk is developing that will be very hard. Mm. We are so so now it's been so since the Briner and all of them we had a gap, but the players are coming, the players are coming 100 percent sure. And Man- trust Manchester me. United scouts, are you listening? Yeah, yeah. sign these gang players because we need it. <laughs> <laughs> Big man, you fans, <laughs> trust me, trust me. Um, there we have some good, good potentials who are coming through the ranks, very, very tough. Strong. One of them. One of them went to Bruges, and he's playing. He's playing in the first team. That's him, Noam Bamba. You would, you you can write the name on your books. This guy will come to the Premier League, and he will shock the Premier League. I can assure you, hundred percent. He's now the youngest player in the Bruges squad. Yeah. Involved in the Champions League squad as well with Bruges. Yeah. And he could. He could. He he could move this like last summer. He could. He could have gone to um, Leipzig, okay. <clears throat> first team, yeah. first team. But I think um, for him, it was the best thing was for him to to stay. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we have some players who are coming. You know when uh, like managers or coaches when they when they say it's too early for <clears throat> him to go, what do they mean exactly by that? What did what does the player need to <clears throat> develop more? Would you say like he's not ready? Yeah. Why though? Um, like, well, you know, like, I've always wondered. Yeah, I was curious. Yeah, but before, listen, before going to to clubs as Man U, Man City, 
Arsenal, Chelsea, you need to be ready. Mm. We cannot, as club, let you go and you're not ready. And this is what happened with, maybe we, if I could give the example of Kevin De Bruyne, the club let him go to Chelsea straight away. But what did Chelsea do? Because he came, he arrived in Chelsea and suddenly, listen, Kevin De Bruyne was good at that time, but was he ready straight away to play for Chelsea first team? I don't think so. I don't, th- I don't think he was ready. So he had to go, and it's different with Eden Hazard because Eden Hazard was coming from Lille. And Lille, obviously, the French league is a bit higher than the Belgian league. So Hazard was, let's say, he had a couple of, yeah, would say he was a bit forward on Kevin De Bruyne. So I remember Kevin even, even to... at Lille, like Eden Hazard was an unbelievable player. Like yeah, I definitely. remember back then. So he was already experienced being maybe like a star player in, in, a, in a squad. For sure. For sure. And he was playing in the French League regularly, being yeah. young. And the French League, you cannot compare the French League to the English League, but you cannot compare the Belgian League to the French League. The Belgian League is definitely under the French League. And Eden Hazard was coming from Lille, where he was best player, you know, he had some games in the Champions League, he was dominating everything. So that was just the right time for him to put, like, to put, like, to put the, the step mm-hmm. into the Chelsea squad. But for De Bruyne, maybe it was too early. He came there and he felt also, I think, if you if you have the chance to, to have one day Kevin De Bruyne on your podcast, you should ask him, I fingers think, crossed. <laughs> indeed, fingers crossed. I think, I think he will clearly, he will clearly tell you um, that was maybe a stop, um, a step, like, like to, yeah. like it was too quickly. So he had to go to the Bundesliga, you know, and yeah. then after two, three years, he was ready to make that step to the mm. to the Prem. Mm. The point you make about Gang taking their time with developing their youth, like I saw it firsthand with uh, Martin van der Voort. <laughs> When I was there, he was literally, he was there every day, training, yeah. like literally getting, adapting to that professional, you know, lifestyle and that professional career. And yeah. I don't think he, he played maybe a few games, but he was just there training and using Danny Vukovic as like his kind of mentor, you know, and True. Cook, Gideon Cook and uh, Norden. And now look at him. The guy is like... Like even physically developed, like yeah. beard, like everything. Beard. He looks so yeah. comfortable, so True. comfortable in goal. And True. how old is he? Like nineteen? He's, uh, eight. he's 18? 18, 19 now. It's yeah. crazy. The guy looks like he's about twenty-five. Like it's nothing even... more exciting than a youth player coming through the ranks. Like being a Man United fan, Mason Greenwood at the moment. Yeah. Like I just absolutely love watching youngsters break through. Mm-hmm. I prefer that than than watching a st- like a star signing for hundred million. Yeah. I'm more yeah. excited to watch Greenwood than I am Sancho because he's one of our own, like, you know what I mean? Definitely. Uh, but as I said, you know, I didn't mention no names, but obviously John did it. He, he spoke <laughs> yeah. about Martin. I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he spoke about Martin. So then obviously I need to finish his sentence. Okay. Martin, Martin is top class. Brilliant, isn't Ma- he? Martin is top class and he will surely... I think he will end up in Manchester City because he has great feet. And uh, yeah. And uh yeah, his keeping ability is just above above average. 
Yeah. yeah. But then, crazy. but then because you started about yeah, talent, blame it on me. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, talenting gang. Luca Oyen is coming through the ranks. Yeah. JD 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 Gusens, um, uh, Andras Nemeth, uh, Sekou Diawara. Um, they are all coming. Bilal El Canous, uh, Lucas Berta. These are all talented players, but you need to be, you know, they need to to take their time. But I'm talking about these players that are already there. Yeah. But the players who are coming, who are now 14, 15, trust me, you're not ready for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, not ready. yeah. you're not ready for this. Um, okay. Go ahead. Uh, so we saw that you've recently founded uh, NextGen. Um, so tell us more about your sort of goals and ambitions <coughs> of this great initiative that, you, that you've got going on. Uh, if I rewind this uh, podcast, I said in the beginning that um, um, I've always been around youth and I wanted to bring the youth to a next level. Mm. Um, and once again, with Next Gen Football Camp, um, I want the players to have the players who play at a high level in Belgium, in Holland, in Germany, even I hope to extend it into the UK. So these players. Who, who are talented and who has a lot and who have a lot of potential, I want them to um, to manage their vacation as it should be. So with Next Gen Football Camp, um, it is organized only during vacation, and this is where we we take these potentials, these talents, we take them abroad and we guide them during the vacation because. Uh, as a coach, or let's say as a guide, or as a youth developer, youth developer, I I um, I saw that a lot of players come back from the vacation, and they always go down. So they go down once they go to the vacation. They come back to the club. Their level goes like the level of the players go down, because during vacation they do not have the right mentality. They are uh, let's say. Christmas vacation, you know, great food, uh, family time, mm. enjoy. Definitely, you have to enjoy. Uh, you have to have quality time. It is important also for, for a player you know, to have quality time and to have some vacations. But they need to stay up to date with what is demanded at the highest level. And we are trying to, you know, to match vacation and what is demanded at the highest level together at next year football camp and we give them the opportunity to train with the best coaches in belgium holland germany like i said i hope to extend it one day maybe in a year or two or two i i really hope to extend um the players so that players can come from uk from scotland uh, yeah. from ireland uh, so yeah like I do it for them, not for me. It's for them, you know, yeah. to create to create a um, a professional environment for youngers because we cannot speak of professionalism uh, when they are fourteen. I think you know, like a kid stays a kid. Um, you need to um, to unleash them sometimes because they are youth players. Sometimes you know you need to be a bit um, you know. Uh, how can I say? You need to be um, 
a friend, more of a friend than a coach. And then sometimes you need to be a very severe, very strong, tough coach. Uh, then you need to be, uh, you need to play a dad role with them. So it depends. It depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. And this is this is this is what we propose at the next gen football camp. Looks fantastic. I I remember seeing footage on social media like you you guys have like that football and then the holiday side like you were saying. So it's literally yeah. staying focused but then enjoying yourself at the same time. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's like a perfect combination I'd say. And yeah. uh, and another thing I was going to say, so you mentioned that you have different professionals working from different areas so do you guys have like a nutritionist and like yeah. physical coach yeah. and you guys yeah. focus on the mental side also? So it's yes. really, it's really cool yes. that you have all these areas that you kind of explore. So, so we try to focus ourselves on all aspects that are required at the highest level. Yeah. So we have, we have a physical coach, we have a performance coach, we have a nutrition coach, we have a, a massage specialist, we have football coaches, we have a yoga coach. Yeah. So it is very, like, the variety is very, you know, like, it's very wide and mm-hmm. it is it is all done for the youth. Yeah. Once again, we are trying to get them to the next level. This is why it's called Next Gen Football Camp because we're trying to bring them to the next to the next level. Yes, they, they have to play at the highest level in their country. This is uh, one requirement we ask. But then... Coming in next gen, we are trying, you know, to yeah, to reach the next level with them and with yeah. players, uh, with players of Holland, Belgium, Germany, Luxembourg. So we want to, you know, to create an atmosphere where you can learn from a Dutch guy, but also from a German guy, also from That's a Belgian cool. guy, and and this is yeah, this is the this is the reality of football because when you see squads of uh, Arsenal or Chelsea or Manchester United, you see a lot of cultures mixed together. Yeah. And what is very important, we coach in English. Okay. Okay. Because because when you look at teams, you know, when you look at teams even in Belgium, uh, most of the teams that are playing like the top three uh, places, coaches speak in English to their players. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you have a lot of players coming around. You have players from South America, players from Africa, players from uh, from uh, from uh, Russia. So, it, so we coach in English. Mm-hmm. Once again, it is very um, like it is important for them to get the um, how can I say the um, the whole package of okay, what is it like of um, b- being trained trained by professionals. And also um, going on camp and living the life of a professional player, let's yeah. say. Yeah, we have a strong footballing background ourselves, so like it's a lot of what we talk about on this podcast. And um, we have a lot of academy players listening. So for any academy players listening, how could they get in touch with, with getting involved with Next Gen? Um, yeah, is it by your is, Instagram? Yeah, it is very simple as that. As I said again, um, as I said before, we do we are doing it for the youth, so it's not complicated. The youth is always connected on Instagram, Facebook. This is where we are. So you just type in next gen football camp. You send a message, hey, I'm this this guy, I'm that age, I would like to join 
the football camp can have more information and then the rest will follow. Yeah, no, spot on. It sounds like an unbelievable initiative and like it's definitely going to shape some unbelievable footballers like going into the future ranks. Sure. Um, we we are just trying to help them. We're just trying to help them. And um, the fact we go into Turkey, you know, going abroad, getting to learn the culture. Some players uh, get to learn some, um, some words in Turkish as well. You know, yeah. new environment, new players, new stuff um, around you. So the it's all about diversity, you know, and the personal development. So, yeah. Unreal. <laughs> but um, in terms of all our questions, that's all we had for you. But we had, we asked our Instagram and Twitter and other social media platforms if they had any questions for you. So this is a segment where we ask you those questions. Um, Great. I'll start first. So the first one is, um, so let's say... You're not necessarily a coach that manages, um, but maybe back in your playing career, you could sort of delve some light on how you cope with this. Um, so when you went 1-0 down or um, something happened in the game, like you, you conceded, how do you bounce back from that moment? What, what are the thoughts going on in your head to bounce back? As a player or as a coach? Um, whichever one you prefer. You could do to. both. Yeah. Okay. As a coach, I always stay calm. And I, so I stay calm and I motivate my players mm -hmm. all the time. I'm, I'm more like, when I, when I used to coach a team, I was more like a motivator um, yeah. on the line. I was keep on, like, I kept motivating my players. And during, during break, then I give some tactical advices. But during the game, it is all about motivation. Yeah. Because you cannot start shouting some tactical things, I guess, during games because players are focused on the game, mm. you know? So it was more like motivation, motivation, motivation. As a player, huh, I hate losing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate losing. Oh, really? I hate losing. Uh, I remember myself, uh, oh, yes, oh. No, I was, I was, I was, I was a bad loser. Yeah, I was a bad loser. Mm. So when, so when we were one nil down, I could really like um, have a go at, I don't know, whichever player who, you know, who did a mistake, and really like having a go, like going to him and spending all my energy. What did you do? Come on, man! So yeah, I was yeah. really, you know, into him, and then the coach. Shouting at me, Prince, get back in your position, get <laughs> yeah. in shape. And I was just ignoring him. I said, no, 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 no. Yeah. He needs to fix up. Come on, we're one nil down now. So I was really, no. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's funny because it's similar to us, like, as sports psychologists, we need to start, like, practicing what we preach and helping ourselves. And similar, like, you should have learned off your, yourself as a coach and motivate your players. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> um, so the second question was, what advice would you give a young coach who wants to make it at the top level? Young coach? Yeah. Well, to be, to, to be fair, I'm still a young coach and I'm yeah. not at the highest level now, so I cannot give him advice. But what I could, what I could, what I could tell him is um, believe in your abilities mm -hmm. um, and, and stay authentic. Authenticity. Mm -hmm. This is me, like me coming in gang. They they never had a coach like it's not to you know to show off, but the way I coach or the way I am with children, 
they did not have the same um, the same coach as me inside their academy. So yeah. when I came in, you know, I like I changed the game, and and I took some coaches with me in this vibe that coaches slightly start doing like slightly start being different with players. Like the one-on-one conversations is different. Um, you know, they are a bit cooler with the, um, with the play uh, with the players. Um, you know, they tend to ask how they how they do, how they are. Uh, what I usually do is, uh, you know, I just give a high five to players, but not just a usual high five. You know, we, you know, we yeah we, yeah we, check so, yeah, we, yes check. yes we have we have some combinations. Yeah, this is where. In Genk, it was, you know, the first time I did this to a player, people were like, what is he doing now? So, you know, yeah, they were, like, they were shocked because, you know, it was too serious. Coaches were very stiff, you know, yeah. uh, putting players two, three yards away and I'm the coach and you the player, you should listen and very professional. And then you have some guy of Brussels, you know, coming from the capital of Belgium, coming in in Genk, small area um, where they work very good with players and then he was you know very close to the players and uh, give them some handshakes and doing mm. some you know some dance moves with them on the field <laughs> it was just yeah. crazy you know so 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 yeah be be authentic yeah. like you know do what you do best mm. obviously you need to adapt yourself and like you need to adapt yourself to the rule of the club sure yeah. this is normal But it doesn't mean that you need to to change the way you are, you know. Like, like I think you should stay authentic, and this is all. And this is also the way I coach. I coach in the way I am. Yeah, mm. it sounds like you're an innovator as well. In that you don't necessarily stick to to what everyone else is doing. You're happy to sort of go off off that. And if you think something's right maybe believing in yourself and your values that it will be successful. And obviously mm. you pitching that to Genk must have been huge. Yeah. Maybe a lot of pressure. And the fact yeah. that it's come off, you know, credit to you. hundred hundred percent um Oliver. Um a lot of a lot of coaches um I wouldn't say were jealous, but um you know like it was like okay the guy comes from Brussels like we are known for developing good footballers and he tries you know to change the game what does he think he is or who does he think he is you know but this is just being me and i went to the board and i said listen this is how i want to work do you have space for me to work like this yes or no if it was a no i'd say okay thank you very much uh, i've spent here three years i've learned a lot but it is time for me to move but then the club said okay we have a place for you inside the academy where you could do what you want to do. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so yeah, it's like I said, it's, it is, yeah, it is quite, it is quite different. You know, I'm just authentic. I'm just being myself. Nah, great. And the final question is, so obviously you've had a lot of experience um, working in professional football. What are your future ambitions and aspirations as a coach? So where do you see yourself in the next 20 years at uh, the peak okay. of your career? Ambitions. Hmm. I'm an ambition <laughs> guy. Be careful. 
You, you spoke a lot about Man City. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. good to that you haven't talked about Man U, but yeah. <laughs> be careful though. So, yeah, I'm, um, let's say my heart lays in Manchester City. Um, um, I'm a blue, definitely. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're in. Why have I done this podcast? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm a rarin, like I'm a rarin, and <laughs> some some red hoodie. I thought, okay, all of us is for Manchester United, so I have, you know, I have to compensate. Yeah, have to compensate. yeah, yeah. But no, um, fair enough. Um, my ambitions um, at this moment, uh, I'd say. Uh, for the next, let's say, 10 years, I really want to work with the youth. You know, I'm still young, 28. So in 10 years, I'm 38. Um, I want to work with the youth. I want to get to know them. Um, I want to work with talented players. You know, I want them to challenge me. Um, give me someone who is difficult. And my ambition is to make the difficulty easy. You know, so and then and then this is me. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm trying uh, to achieve for myself. And I'm and I'm willing, and I'm willing to achieve it at first instance in Genk because they believe in me and they believe in in um, in how I work. And they gave me also the opportunity to um, yeah, to do my thing. But then um, I would never go to another club in Belgium. Just, just, just because, um, yeah, Genk is just huge. Like, has done huge things for me. So, yeah. if I had to leave, I would definitely go abroad. And if I had to leave, I'd rather go to the UK, where obviously I've been playing as well. Yeah. Um, and there, obviously, do the same um, with a with a club who is willing to work with youth. You know, who is willing uh, to develop talents. Obviously, London is a big city. Um, Manchester is also a big city, but the UK is a great, is a huge country. Um, they have a lot of talents. You know, I want to, uh, yeah, I want to challenge myself going, going there maybe in a few years and do the same, mm. do the same. You know, uh, within a club, developing, working with young kids, working with potentials, with talents, and uh, try. Um, to 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 make them you know uh, go to the next level and going up the ranks, um, um, going in uh, going in the first team, and maybe in ten years being part of a um, being part of a staff, you know, um, which is um, well, I have the chance of 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 knowing a lot of professional footballers. Mm. Uh, at the moment, maybe in a few years, they will say okay. I'll be a gaffer, I'll be a manager, and then um, it is up to me, maybe, you know, um, getting involved in um, in the staff or having a place inside the team they are coaching as a link with the, with the youth players inside the club. Yeah. It depends. But at this moment, I'm focused on developing the next Kevin De Bruyne, Thibaut Courtois, Romelu Lukaku's, um, and uh, yeah, this is my my dream. This is my goal. This is my ambition. And um, yeah, I'm yeah I'm let's say I'm on my way. Um, I'm on my way, and uh, everything will come at ease. Yep. You know, I, yeah, I I don't pressure myself. No, we're with you. We're we're following everything that you're doing. So uh, we wish you all the best. Uh, yeah. Great. 
You sound like a very driven individual, so I'm Literally. sure you'll achieve whatever you set out to. Um, but in terms of all our questions, that's all we had for you. We normally give this moment to, is there anything you want to shout out? Obviously, all the links to your socials and all of that, Next Gen, will all be in the description of our YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd want to shout out? Well, uh, I, would, I would say thank you for the opportunity you guys gave me. Um, I think this is a great platform for coaches, players, and everyone within football, you know, to get in touch uh, um, to each other. Um, and, uh, and yeah, um, I just hope you guys could grow also. And yeah. who knows, one day maybe I'll see you guys on, uh, uh, what's it called, Sky Sports. Uh, <laughs> having, your, having, your, having your program after... Um, yeah. What's it called again? Uh, after um, Monday night football. Yeah, Monday night football or yeah. Super Sunday. Super match Sunday. Of the day. Yeah. Match, match of the day. Of the day. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> after match of the day. Jesus. Yeah. Be Eminem, Eminem, uh, Eminem coming on now. You know. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, really. Um, I think uh, I think it um, it's a great idea what you what you guys have. So once again, thanks, thanks no to you guys. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, so yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you could please share this with your friends or someone you feel would benefit from it. Most importantly, like, subscribe, comment down below any questions you had or any guests you'd like to get us on in the future. Also, go follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, links will be in the description of the YouTube video or find us at Master in the Mind podcast. Other than that, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you in the next one.